Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation chapter 13. Sunday morning studying the book of Revelation together. And as we turn to chapter 13, just a reminder that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We will look to conclude the book of Malachi uh, this evening, the final book of the Old Testament. And uh, normally when we finish a, a book of the, uh, 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 in our study on Sunday night, we celebrate with Costco sheet cakes. But since we're finishing the entire Old Testament, we'll be giving away cars tonight. So. <laughs> If you want to just come out this evening for that, just kidding. And uh, for any of you thinking, cool, that is great. So we won't be able to uh, do that this evening because of getting everything set. And so you get a rain check till next week is uh, on, on all of that. Chapter 13, verse 1. And then John says, I stood on the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And so they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, uh, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for VBS in this coming week, and we ask that your Spirit would be powerful in adding His yea and amen to all of the things that are going to be poured into these young lives. We pray, Lord, that you would give it eternal impact upon uh, their lives. We pray that you would give strength to everyone that is going to be serving and we pray that you would do exceeding abundantly above all that any parent or grandparent or any neighbor or even we could ask or think. And we trust you for that. We realize what a prized and, and precious time a childhood is in life. And uh, never a better, Lord, time to hear about you. And to have that seed sown and to turn to you and know the truth about life. And so bless us this week as we uh, head into this fabulous week of pointing children to you. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for this history that you give us in advance. All of these things that you know that we need to know about the future long before it ever comes to pass. And we pray that this knowledge of the future would inform our decisions today and our perspectives and understanding processing of the world today and we pray lord that you would do just that in our lives now by your holy spirit as we study your word and we ask it in jesus name amen please be seated As we come now to chapter 13 with the reminder that chapters 10 through 14 of the book of Revelation are a lengthy uh, para parenthetical passage. And chapters 12 and 13 within that section introduce us to seven very, very significant uh, personages that will be uh, present and active during the tribulation uh, period and important for us to understand a little bit about them and their place in that time 
in order to make sense of things. And this morning we come to the sixth of those seven personages in looking at the Antichrist as he's described here in these uh, ten uh, verses. It's important to remember, I think, as we go into this instruction concerning the Antichrist, to be reminded as we look at this, and it's a, it's a terrifying picture really uh, in, its, in its own way, to realize that as Christians we will not be present for these events in the world. <clears throat> we'll be raptured prior to the Great Tribulation period or the Tribulation period because the Bible teaches we are not appointed to wrath and the tribulation period is a season in which God pours His wrath out upon the world in order to get them to finally and ultimately turn uh, to uh, Him. Where we do find Christians spoken of in chapters 6 through 19 of the Revelation, and we find them spoken of uh, here, it's referring to what uh, we call tribulation saints, people who become Christians after the rapture uh, of the church. And the Bible teaches that the number of people who will become Christians during the tribulation period, they will constitute a multitude that cannot uh, even be uh, numbered. We notice in verses 1 and 2 that the Antichrist is going to explode. He's going to explode onto the world scene uh, as a political leader. He is going to exert uh, political power in his uh, conquest of the world. He will not use war, uh, but political power is a means of coming to rule the world. The Apostle John in verse 1, he witnesses the beast. The beast here refers to the Antichrist coming up out of the sea. When he speaks about the sea here, uh, it isn't likely that it's a reference to a literal sea, but rather speaking about the nations of the world. So the imagery of a sea speaking of the nations of the world, speaking of humanity, speaking specifically of the Gentile world, uh, Gentile world uh, is a common imagery within, uh, within the Bible. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters uh, cast up mire and dirt. And so it certainly will be true uh, of, of the world uh, during the tribulation period after the influence of the Holy Spirit through the church has been removed by virtue of the rapture. Even today when we speak of humanity, we uh, talk about uh, the uh, a sea of humanity. And so this is a, a, a biblical imagery that we use even today. The sea of humanity, speaking about all of the masses of, of mankind in, uh, in the world. We'll see in chapter 17 later in verse 15, the same imagery of mankind being likened to a body of water, uh, but speaking uh, of mankind uh, in that chapter. And verse 15 reads, And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So this tells us that the Antichrist is going to be a human being. He is going to rise up at a particular time in human history out of this great mass of humanity to then uh, take his terrible place in, in human history. Now, when we see him described here in terms of uh, seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns, there in verse uh, 1, again, it reveals the fact that he is going to explode onto the scene uh, in a, a, as a political leader. We've already seen this imagery, the speaking of the horns and the crowns and, and the heads and all. Those same, very same uh, imagery was used to describe Satan as we saw last week in, in Revelation uh, chapter 12. And so it testifies to the fact that the Antichrist's power, his authority, his throne, uh, uh, during the tribulation period is going to come from uh, the devil him, himself. The, the devil, the Antichrist, will be the human vehicle through whom uh, Satan is going to establish a one-world uh, ruling empire centered in the old Roman Empire. 
centered in Europe, some kind of European community of nations made up of ten kings or nations who will turn their power over to the devil in the form of the Antichrist uh, to rule and dominate the world during the Great Tribulation and uh, until it all comes crashing down ultimately at Jesus' uh, second coming. Later in chapter 17, the same thing is described for us in verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And these are of one mind and they give, will give their power and authority to the beast. And all of this, as some of you might uh, recognize, all of this has its roots in Daniel chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this great image that represents a series of world-ruling empires that would follow his uh, Babylonian uh, empire, all of them, these empires culminating ultimately in a final world-ruling empire in the last days just before Jesus' second coming and having a geographical relationship to the old Roman Empire and characterized by the ten toes and the feet uh, in the image that was in the dream. And if all of this is new to you, um, it would be very, very good to make a study of the book of Daniel uh, in the Old Testament. It wasn't that long ago that we finished studying it on Sunday night, and it would be very, very helpful for putting all of the pieces together. It is helpful to realize in, in studying both Daniel and Revelation that all of this that is being spoken of in the Revelation is not simply a New Testament thing, uh, as wonderful as that is. But all of this is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. It's something <clears throat> that God made known uh, to His Old Testament saints as well. You notice in verse 2 that the Antichrist is likened to a composite of three beasts. You have a leopard and a bear and a lion. Again, this imagery comes from Daniel chapter 7 uh, as well. In Daniel chapter 7, each of these uh, animals represent three world-ruling empires that were to come in human history from the time of the Babylonian Empire. The leopard representing Greece, the bear representing the Medo-Persian Empire, and the lion representing uh, Babylon. And the point being that the power of the Antichrist is going to be greater than any one of those empires individually, and the power of the Antichrist and, and his, his world-ruling empire will be stronger than all of them put together. And these were um, uh, massively powerful world-ruling empires in, uh, in their day. It is interesting to notice in the listing of these animals that they, uh, the animals are listed in the reverse in Revelation of how they are listed in the book of Daniel. And the reason for that is because Daniel's prophecies looked forward to the coming of these uh, empires. And so he spoke of them in that order. And in the book of Revelation, we look back on them. And so the, uh, the order is reversed. Again in verse 2, the source of the Antichrist's power and his authority uh, will be Satan himself. So the Antichrist will not merely be demon-possessed, as, as awful as that uh, must be, but he will be possessed by uh, the devil himself. So he will be tapped into just pure, undiluted, unfiltered uh, evil. And, uh, and this will not be during the tribulation period. It will not be a movie that is uh, over in two hours and you can go on about your business after having been scared for a while. This is something that is going to be real and it's going to be real for seven full years uh, of the tribulation uh, period. There'll be no escape from it in real life. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul describes this in writing, the coming of the lawless one, speaking of the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan. So you imagine when you, uh, something about getting a little bit older 
and uh, uh, you realize that all of these people who have their fingers on all of the buttons of the weapon systems of the world are just human beings like us. Uh, and uh, just regular kind of people that have been, you know, been lifted up into uh, these kind of, of positions. And so you're going to have all of the wealth, all of the power, all of the militaries uh, of the world are going to be in the hands uh, of Satan himself. And of course, that can't end well, and it won't end well, and I'm very glad that I'm not going to be here uh, to watch all of it unfold on the news. The Antichrist, in verse 3, we're told, is going to survive an, an assassination attempt uh, that is being made, that will be made against him. Probably at the halfway point of the tribulation period, uh, because later it speaks of the fact that he's going to be doing all these things that he's going to be doing here uh, in earnest for 42 months or for three and a half years, the final three and a half years of the tribulation uh, period. Now, the reason that we know uh, that this is, uh, it looks to be an assassination attempt as opposed to him taking a fall from a ladder or something and, and uh, uh, being nearly mortally wounded. Excuse me, I've got to say God bless you to that. That was something. That might have made it on the recording. But, but God bless you. That's... So uh, we know that, that it is going to be an assassination attempt because later in the same chapter in verse 14, as we'll get to it, God willing, next week, we're told that the wounding will be produced by a sword, that is, by some kind of a weapon. And the Old Testament uh, book of Zechariah uh, declares the same, this very same thing concerning the Antichrist. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17, Woe to the worthless shepherd, speaking of the Antichrist, who leaves the flock, a sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His, his arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. So there is some kind of an attempt made upon his life. And, and yet we're told at the end of verse 3 and end of verse 4 that he will recover from uh, this assassination attempt, whether he uh, is resurrected from the dead. We'll talk more about that next week, or whether he was just very, very near death, but his recovery from this assassination attempt will be so remarkable to the population of the world at that time that we're told that they will uh, marvel over his recovery. That's the word that is used. Marveling will then translate into following him, as we're told there, and then ultimately into worshiping uh, him. And all of the world at the end of verse 3 is described as uh, doing so. And at this point in time, uh, Satan is going to have the thing that he has desired all of his uh, existence to have uh, the worship uh, that belongs to God and God alone to be directed now uh, to, uh, to Him. This apparent miracle is going to cause the world to conclude, as we see in verse 4, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Well, the short answer is Jesus can. And uh, that will be made very, very clear when we get to chapter 19 and at, at his second coming. But during the tribulation period, the population of the world is going to be uh, blinded by their unwillingness to accept the existence of God. They're going to be deceived into thinking that no one is greater than the Antichrist, and so they will align uh, fully with Him. And I think this may be a part of the strong delusion that God says He is going to allow to come upon the world during the tribulation upon those who are determined to reject Jesus as the Christ, and yet they're ready, willing, and able to give their allegiance and their worship to the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul writes of it, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that is, that the Antichrist 
uh, is uh, the Christ. And here, here we see uh, in, in kind of uh, plain display for us uh, that the easiest people in the world to deceive are people who will only listen to what they want to hear. Uh, they will not listen to any contrary uh, opinion in their life or any contrary uh, perspective. And so the world is going to be in the place where they say, I refuse to believe in God. I refuse to believe that there are moral and spiritual absolutes in life. I refuse to believe that I need to be saved. I refuse to believe that Jesus provides that salvation. And to hold those kind of positions... Uh, not as a result of kind of thoroughly investigating uh, and examining the, the validity of holding those positions or the implications of holding those positions on those subjects, but they will hold those positions simply because I don't want to believe those truths and there's nothing you can do to change my mind. And what is left unspoken in this mindset that will be there during the tribulation period is the idea of I refuse to believe because the reality of a righteous God is too dreadful for me to contemplate in my proud, self-willed, rebellious, and sin-filled life. And through the Antichrist, Satan will tell the world exactly what it ever wants to hear that it wants to hear at that time. I don't know if you've ever watched video clips, uh, in, whether on the news showing something related to World War II or on the internet, video clips of Hitler speaking to mass audiences. And usually when you see them, they're like uh, 30 seconds long or a minute long, and uh, they almost always are uh, just kind of his final rant at the end of uh, of the speeches that, that he would give to these mass audiences. And when you look at it, and it just looks like it comes off as a, a rant that nobody uh, would believe or anybody would be very, very careful about, you can wonder why he had such a hypnotic effect upon people. But his speeches in their entirety usually began very, very calmly, very, very conversationally. And... and uh, and he, uh, he would take and spend considerable time uh, 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 period building to the point where there's that kind of uh, fevered emotional frenzy at the end. Uh, Hitler was in love with his voice. He would, his speeches were very, very uh, lengthy. And, and in terms of his effectiveness, as people marvel at the effectiveness of Hitler to mesmerize a large portion of uh, of a nation and uh, of, of the world at that time, more important than his style, more important than uh, his very, very obvious passion for his particular views, his effectiveness is most uh, 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 attributed to the fact that he was telling people exactly what they wanted to hear. That's what they brought to the room. That's what they brought to the stadium. And all that he did was merely put into words what they already had in their hearts, what they already wanted to desperately uh, believe themselves. He gave words to their thoughts. He gave words to their emotions. And Hitler will be like a child compared to the Antichrist when he does exactly the same thing uh, to the world. We tend to believe what we want to believe. And the world will desperately want to believe that the world can operate quite well without God, without a belief in Him, and that man can be universally moral without Him or His commandments. And it will all play right into the hands of the Antichrist. Uh, the man of, of sin, the man of lawlessness, as Paul describes him. And the world will think, finally, someone who can lead the world without the encumbrance of these antiquated notions of right and wrong and good and bad, of God's in, in the Bible, and these antiquated notions of law and order. And then his blasphemies that he'll speak are recorded for us here in verses 5 and 6. And this 
almost universal popularity that he will enjoy as a result of surviving this uh, assassination attempt will embolden him then uh, at that point to speak openly and, and blasphemously against God. He's going to become a trash talker, and he's going to make the whole world know uh, about his uh, hatred uh, of God, uh, the God of the Bible. He's going to attempt to destroy and use everything in his power uh, to attempt to destroy the reputation of God before the population of the whole world. You look at how our universities in the United States of America, just a very limited small portion of the United States of America have been effective in doing just this in the minds of people related to God. What will happen when you take all of the power, all of the manipulation ability, all of, of these things, and then put them in the hands of the devil himself, and he foists it upon the entire uh, world. And so he will try to poison, and effectively so, poison the minds of people against God through his speech. And we're told specifically, he will blaspheme God. <clears throat> He will blaspheme God's name, His nature. He will blaspheme His tabernacle, that is heaven. He will blaspheme those who dwell in heaven, that is the angels who kept their first estate, and every Christian that is in heaven uh, as well. And He's going to do that for three and a half years, for 42 months. And you, you ask yourself, how do you bash God? And then how do you bash goodness for 42 months and still have any kind of audience left at the end of that. You still have people that still can't see through the insanity of not only putting evil on a par with good, but to declare that evil is even greater than good. It's like trying to... to convince the whole world that Hitler was a better person than the Apostle uh, Paul. It seems like an impossibility that it, that it could be uh, accomplished. But that's how demonically convincing that he's uh, going to be. And again, how desperately people will want to believe what it is that he is saying. You notice in verse 7 that he's going to be granted to make war uh, with the tribulation saints and to overcome them. And so many, many Christians, not all of them, some Christians will survive the tribulation period, but most of them, both Jew and Gentile, uh, will be martyred for their faith in Jesus during the tribulation period because they refuse to submit to Him or to worship Him. Again, this is an Old Testament truth. Daniel chapter 7, verse 21, Daniel writes of the Antichrist, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. And so, in verse 7 and into verse 8, he will come to rule the entire world. Again, as Daniel prophesied, Daniel 7.23, And thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different than all the other kingdoms. Speaking of the kingdom of the Antichrist. And he shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. And not only will he have authority over the entire world, uh, in verse 8, uh, all who dwell upon the earth will worship him. So here again is a Christ uh, that the world will accept. They didn't like the real one, but here's one that they readily will accept and they readily will uh, worship. The, the tribulation period is going to reveal that uh, no atheist is as pure and principled in their atheism as they portray themselves uh, to be. They just don't like the present list of options that are presented to them uh, as God. But the Antichrist is going to fit the bill for them, and they will readily worship him uh, as God. And Jesus' warning, uh, his warning to the Jews 
about their rejection of Him as the Messiah and as the Christ is a, a warning that is appropriate for the whole world at that time. You remember Jesus said to the religious leaders, I've come in My Father's name and you did not receive Me. If another comes in his own name, the Antichrist, then him you will receive. Because once you have rejected the truth about anything, but certainly about the Messiah, then all you are left with to believe in are lies and deceptions. And so it will happen. We should realize, I think, because it's in our news all of the time today, that this push for a one-world government today is not going to go away. Uh, and, uh, and the only thing that's going to delay it for any length of time will be uh, a revival of some kind. It doesn't mean that Christians are to roll over, or the world is to roll over, and, and just accept a one-world government as the pressure is being put upon us for uh, doing that. But we should realize that this is what Satan will condition the world, even in our time in human history, condition the world to believe is the only solution to man's problems. And increasingly, the world wants all of the problems of this world to be fixed, but not by God, not by the only one who can. Uh, for that would mean I'd have to be accountable to Him, I'd have to acknowledge His existence, and I would have to obey His commandments. And so they will increasingly seek a political leader to accomplish this. And He's coming. He's coming in human history. You see the stage being set for Him. And He's coming in the person uh, of the Antichrist. And among other things... Uh, one of the things that sets the world up for the Antichrist uh, is the push for a one-world government. It is the increasing centralization of government, and with the increasing centralization of government, the centralization of power uh, in, in the world. Nations exist. Sovereign, independent nations exist in the world by God's uh, design. You might remember in Genesis chapter 11, when mankind endeavored to establish a single centralized government uh, at the scene of the Tower of Babel in violation of God's call uh, and command to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the whole earth. And they, instead of going out into the world at that, at that time, they decided we're going to build a tower uh, to God. We're going to all be right here. And they did so under the mantra of let us make a name for ourselves. In other words, forget God, forget His will. We can do better ourselves. And God uh, confused their languages in order to force them from that centralization to now spread out into the world and become uh, become what it is that he wanted it to become. God is not at all troubled by the decentralized governments of the world. And the reason that he's not is that he's omnipresent. Uh, the decentralized of, uh, de decentralization of power in the world is no threat to him. It is no, uh, poses no difficulty uh, to him at all, because he is omnipresent, he can just re he can readily direct the entire world, uh, however many nations that there are. But Satan doesn't have that luxury, because Satan can only be one place at one time, and what will be required for him to control the whole world politically, governmentally. Uh, spiritually, it will be the absolute in terms of centralized power. It will require a one-world government. And God's scattering of, His, His decentralizing of human beings at the Tower of Babel in confusing their language, it was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. Because independent, individual, sovereign nations protect us 
from a one-world centralized government that is especially vulnerable to Satan in a way that individual sovereign nations and decentralized power uh, are not. But to look at a, a one-world government as the ultimate solution to mankind's problems is the solution of people who do not want to turn to God for solutions. And it is to the degree that that population grows in the world that you have the clamor for a one-world government uh, even uh, today. And so it results in mankind looking to government to take a place in their lives that it can only safely belong uh, to God. And so we see this move from God's intent in terms of government, very limited government, coupled with a population who is individually governed by God. And, and the more that a, a, uh, a world or a nation moves away from limited government and, and nurturing uh, within its population uh, the, the need to be individually governed by God, then the more government you're going to need. Because once you cease to have a population governed individually by God, or at least possessing a fear of God, and especially if a nation then looks, uh, does everything that it can to undermine uh, a belief in God, and even to attack those who are individually governed by God, then the practice of sin and wickedness must explode which then always requires new laws to be passed to govern behavior that was never a problem previously. And the passing of these new laws and their enforcement always requires the expansion of government, and so the cycle goes on endlessly. It is man's sin and the attempt to deal with it supremely or solely on the basis of government that drives larger and more centralized government where people are willing to progressively give up their freedoms to government in exchange for security. And in the tribulation, there will be no influence of the Holy Spirit in this regard through the presence of the church. Having rejected God, government will be uh, their only solution, but what they will fail to take into account uh, is, is the place that Satan will then uh, come in in all of it, and again, it will end very, very badly. We reap what we sow. Nobody's getting away with anything in this world. If you attempt to get rid of God within a nation or a world, and loving and obeying Him as a motive for good citizenship, then you're going to need an authoritarian government to do by force what God does best and most effectively by His Holy Spirit in drawing us to a life of obedience to Him and then out of that relationship with Him into a sincere love for our neighbor. All of this is taking place before our very eyes, and it will be on steroids once the church is removed. You notice in verse 8, there is the mention of the book of life and uh, the Lamb. And so everyone in the world will give the Antichrist the worship that he uh, demands and that he desires. Uh, everyone will do it except for Christians, except for tribulation saints. And those who worship the Antichrist are described in verse 8 as those who have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So conversely, uh, we have descriptions, uh, Christians being described here as those whose names have been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And it's important to realize that though the Antichrist is granted to make war against these tribulation saints and to kill them physically, all of this represents a massive defeat uh, to uh, uh, the devil and, and for him. Because it is not man's physical death 
that Satan desires supremely, but their spiritual uh, death, that every single man, woman, and child in the world would join him in eternity without a faith in Christ to deny God uh, their submission and their worship and then to join him in judgment. And the fact that he cannot overcome uh, them but mere, and overcome that aspect of their life, but merely be able to ki uh, kill them physically will not be lost upon him. So what is this book of life? The book of life is a register. It's a record of every single Christian who ever has or who ever will put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, who will ever be uh, be born again, experience a spiritual birth, and as a result of experiencing that spiritual birth, now belong to God, and as a result then to possess the uh, everlasting life, uh, an everlasting life that will be enjoyed in heaven. Moses spoke of this book of life all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. The Apostle Paul references it in his letter to the church at, at Philippi. It's mentioned multiple times in uh, the book of Revelation. You notice the price that uh, was paid for our names to be written in that book, and it's encapsulated in those three precious words, the Lamb slain. It is the death of the uniquely qualified Jesus on the cross for our sins that provides that salvation uh, to us. And then you notice further how long ago God provided for our salvation through Jesus, that He did so from the foundation of the world. It's interesting to realize that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God knew long before the fact that they would do that and that they and every human being that would then follow them would be in need of a Savior. From the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, one day from the very presence uh, of, of sin. And in His foreknowledge and in His love, His plan of salvation through Jesus was put into place before that fall ever occurred. Our salvation... Uh, did not come into being at the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't something that God came up with in the moment where they fell in the Garden of Eden and he thought to himself, oh, brother, now what are we going to do? That's not what happened in, 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 all, in all of it. It was something, uh, it, it, it wasn't a ambulance, as the old illustration goes, dispatched on the spur of the moment to the scene of this uh, great catastrophic accident in human history. In His love for us, He provided this salvation for us far in advance. And it's really humbling to think about that. He knew everything they would be, everything that they would do, and provided a salvation for them. He knew everything that you would be and everything that I would be and that we would do. And yet He provided a salvation long before we would ever need it. Now to have one's name written in that life, in, in that book, to be saved, is, is the, one of the unceasing uh, causes for rejoicing in our life as Christians. No matter what kind of difficulty we may find ourselves in, even for the tribulation saints, finding themselves facing a martyrdom for their faith in Christ. Again, I mentioned it, I think, last week, but when Jesus sent the 70 out in order to preach the gospel and to cast out demons and to heal people and, and all of these wonderful things, they came back, and the first thing on their lips was that the demons are even subject to us in, in your name. And Jesus said, do not rejoice in this, that the demons are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It is a wonderful truth. And I, I, one of the things that I took, a, I took like two 
journalism classes in junior high. And uh, so glad I dodged that bullet. But um, one of the things that they said, you have to put the who, who, what, where, when, why, and how in the first paragraph uh, in order to capture people's attention and all. But the, other, the second thing was, if you want people to read through the whole article, um, put their name in it. If people know their name is in it, they will read all the way through it to see their name. Now you think about the fact, as a Christian, that that book exists and your name is in that book because of the Lamb, because of Jesus Christ. And how in the world do I get my uh, uh, name written in that uh, book? the book of the Lamb. If you're not yet a Christian, how in the world do you do it? By just simply coming to God and confessing your sin. And saying to Him, God, I believe your assessment of me as a sinner. As long as I can remember, I've done wrong. <laughs> Try as I might, I've done wrong. And I believe that you're so holy that my sin has separated me from a relationship with you. But I also believe that you loved me so much that you sent your Son into the world to die on the cross, to pay the price for the forgiveness of my sins, that He is the satisfying payment for that forgiveness. And so I repent of my sin, I turn to you, I put my trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit will come into your life. You'll be born again by the Holy Spirit. A new nature will come into your life, and your name will be written in the book of life. And it is a gift. It is completely a gift that God gives to the person who does the single greatest thing that anyone can do in life, and that is to honor Him and to honor the Son by making Jesus our Savior. I think that it's sobering to realize as we look at this passage here that for all of the wrongdoing of the human population during the tribulation period, that is detailed in the book of Revelation and, and all of the willful participation of the world population in rejecting God and in blaspheming God, the most significant error that they will commit during the tribulation uh, period is the failure to have their name written in that book. And that's one of the things that God is communicating to us here. And then warning us not to make that same mistake. And that's why he says in verse 9, listen up and take heed to what it is that uh, he is saying here and the offer of salvation. And then in verse 10, essentially God declares there, what goes around comes around. And he tells the tribulation saints, they're encouraged, to continue in their patience and their hupomone, also in their faith through all of this great trial, knowing that one day these wicked persecutors of theirs are going to reap what they've sown. This treatment of them is going to be righteously repaid. And there's something about when you face that moment of martyrdom, I suppose, um, that that knowledge that this unrighteousness, that this wrong, not only in the person, but that it exists in the, in the human condition, is not going to prevail, and that God will righteously judge it, and He will cause righteousness uh, to prevail. The knowledge that they're not going to get away with the, my death uh, and, and the, my martyrdom for simply being a Christian in this world. Anywhere in human history, you have had nations and peoples persecute the Jews for simply being Jews. It has never ended well for that nation. 
And the same thing is true today related to Christians and related to Christians in the tribulation uh, period. Because the fact that the world will persecute Christians for simply being Christians, it's never an indictment upon the Christian. It's always an indictment upon the evil that is in the society that would do such a thing. And you don't want to be a part of a world that will do that readily and without thinking. Because they will not stop with Christians, just as they did not stop with the Jews in Nazi Germany, for instance. But they always then move on to uh, eating uh, their own. And Jesus spoke the same truth on the morning of His crucifixion while He was being led uh, to Calvary. And He declared to them, for if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry. In other words, if they're capable and willing of doing this to me, to crucify perfection, then look out when they come for you. And they will come for you. It will be unbelievably demonic during that tribulation uh, period. And what a joy and what a blessing it is to know that we won't have uh, a part in any of that. But so ends this description of the Antichrist. Next week we'll look at the beast who has recorded uh, his ministry, so to speak, in, in the remainder of chapter 13. Let's stand together and uh, let's pray. And before we pray, if you've if you've never trusted in Christ for salvation, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they would love to pray with you so that your name can be in that book of life and, and you can begin a personal relationship with God uh, today, a relationship that will be eternal. Father, we thank you as we began in prayer for this knowledge that you give us of the future. And as we process the world that we live in today, as we process the trends, as we see the good things, as we see the danger signals that are going on, and this ability to see it far beyond our immediate circumstance, but to know where it's heading, how it ends, that ultimately uh, you prevail in all of it. We thank you this morning, Lord, from this little simple place on the face of this this planet. Thank you for a book of life. Thank you for writing our name in your book of life. And we thank you this morning with all of our hearts for Jesus who made such as us, made that possible for such as us. We are deeply, deeply grateful for him and for his sacrifice. And we thank you in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.